Philip Van Doren Stern. Does that name mean anything to you? Philip Van Doren Stern. He was a writer, he was an editor, he was a Civil War historian. Even if his name doesn't ring a bell for you, I can almost guarantee that you're familiar with a short story that he wrote. This was nearly 80 years ago. The story is titled The Greatest Gift. Still don't think you know it? I'm certain you do. I'll explain coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Welcome indeed. I hope that your Tuesday off is off to a great start here on this, the Memorial of St. Lucie. I am Josh Raymond, and uh, I love being able to spend this hour of the inner life with you, where we look at different aspects, different facets of our spiritual journey, how we can grow in holiness, how we can love God more in our lives. All right, so that name that I mentioned, Philip Van Doren Stern. He wrote this short story called The Greatest Gift. That was in 1943. He couldn't actually find a publisher for it. Nobody wanted it, so he decided to essentially self-publish it. He had 200 copies printed up, and it was this 21-page booklet. And he gave that out as Christmas presents to his friends and his family that December. I know, that doesn't sound very promising, where you're unable to find a publisher to print and distribute your story. But Philip's short little booklet that he had printed himself, it made its way to a man named David Hempstead. David Hempstead was a producer for the film company RKO Pictures. RKO, they purchased the rights to the story, and through a couple of different changes, it eventually made uh, its way, landed in the hands of a director named Frank Capra. You might recognize that name finally, Capra. He adapted it, and he renamed the story for his film. He made it three years after Philip Van, Van Doren Stern had written it originally. It was written in 1943 and 1946. Frank, Frank Capra released it as It's a Wonderful Life. That movie regularly held up as one of the greatest films ever made. Jimmy Stewart, of course, he's the main character, George Bailey. And if you're like me, you've probably seen the movie numerous times. I remember watching it as a child and... Last Christmas, my wife, she pulled it up again to watch it. We'll probably see it again this year. George Bailey, he learns that lesson, that key lesson about how one person can make a profound difference in the lives of so many others. How so much that we take for granted, it relies upon the actions of a single individual. When George, he makes that wish that he had never been born— Clarence, his guardian angel, trying to earn his wings, Clarence shows George what things would be like if he had never existed. Bedford Falls, it's no longer Bedford Falls. It becomes Pottersville, named for the miserly Mr. Potter, who, through greed, through probably at least some level of corruption, he allows the town to devolve into a sleazy kind of place. We see Mr. Gower, the druggist, he was imprisoned for 20 years because George wasn't there to stop him from accidentally filling the prescription incorrectly. George's Uncle Billy, he was institutionalized after the building and loan failed. 
George discovers that his brother, Harry, is no longer with them. Harry died because George, having never existed, he wasn't there to save Harry from drowning as a child. And this has this cascading effect, this impact, because Harry, he wasn't there to save all of the troops that were aboard that transport ship in the war. Finally, George finds Mary, his wife, but since he's not there, she's not married at all. She's living a lonely life. And of course, this means it's a world without any of their children. So many things in that world of It's a Wonderful Life, they rely on the existence of George Bailey. The success, the kindness, the prosperity, the generosity of all of George's friends and neighbors and family, it all hinges on George and his impact in their lives. That idea that the outcome of so much hinges upon one or two crucial things— This is a concept that goes well beyond Hollywood. The church actually highlights some of these crucial things that are necessary for us in the spiritual life. Things that are so important as we strive to grow in holiness that most everything else, it depends or it hinges upon a few key things. That word itself, hinge, in Latin, the word is cardo, and we get the word cardinal from it. And today we want to look at the cardinal virtues. These are those virtues on which most other things, especially other virtues, they all depend. They hinge on these cardinal virtues. And helping us look at the cardinal virtues today, Father Peter Armenio is back with us once again. Father Peter is a priest of Opus Dei, and he is the head of Opus Dei for the Midwest. Father Peter, welcome back to The Inner Life. I hope you're having a blessed Advent season. Oh, it's great, Josh. Uh, uh, I, this is one of my f- favorite seasons, probably my favorite season, preparation for Christmas. It's sort of Lent light, you know, it's penitential, yeah, right. but not to the same severity as Lent. But anyway, it's great to be back. Well, uh, really looking forward to our conversation today here, talking about the cardinal virtues. And before we get into the four cardinal virtues, let's just start off by talking about what the church means when we actually use that word. What is a virtue? Well, a virtue, the traditional definition of a virtue is it's a good habit. And the more philosophical term is the vir- a virtue is a power, an acquired power. Uh, virtus is a Latin word which means power, uh, comes Vir is another word for man that emphasizes his power because the typical Latin word is homo, but vir emphasizes the strength of a man. That's where you get the word virulent or virtue. Or so anyway. So to have to it's a power you acquire. You almost want to say. The virtues are on the DNA of human nature, that everyone can acquire these powers. Um, It's similar to a skill. A skill may perfect a muscle or the ability to play a musical instrument or cooking or a tennis game or a foreign language, but they... A skill and a virtue, a virtue perfects the person per se. The whole person becomes better or or worse depending on his virtue. 
Right. Well, and so, as, as you're talking about that there, you know, referencing, you know, getting better at something, the you use the word habit or skill and you talked about, right. you know, improving your tennis game or learning a new language. Right. If we're going to have something that is habitual, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take practice. Right. In fact, it takes repetition of the same virtuous action. Just because I give up my dessert doesn't mean I'm temperate. Uh, what are the telltale signs that you have a virtue? Let's just say temperance. I'm going to give up dessert for Advent or, or Lent. Um, I may give up a dessert, but I may go into convulsions or break out into hives because I want that dessert so much. I still don't have the virtue yet. I have the virtue when I always can call on that virtue without much of an effort, when it could be performed spontaneously and it gives me pleasure and I have an inclination for that. Not only am I struggling to give up that pie, now I hardly want it. It's not a big deal. Go ahead. You could eat that you can eat a wedge of pie in front of me. It doesn't bother me anymore. That's a consequence, you know, of repetition of that same action of giving up the pie. And so it's called a power because we, we acquire something we didn't have before. Potentially we had it, but now we really have it. Just for example, uh, I'll give my own personal example. I, uh, my mother made me swim, be on a swim team. But, you know, I'm a small man. I don't have the uh, skeletal structure or the muscular sculpture, uh, structure to really be competitive. But nevertheless, I was on a swim team from age 8 till maybe 12 or 13, maybe 12. All right. I haven't swum for maybe a year and a half. But I am morally certain that you put me in that water, I could swim. Uh, and I could do the different strokes, the butterfly, the breaststroke, the backstroke. Why? Well, because that skill is remains in me, even if I don't use it. I could call upon it automatically. Um, but let's use another example. But giving up a wedge of pumpkin pie or pe pe pecan pie, um, if I do it and I break out into hives, you know that that act of temperance was very tough and I don't have the virtue yet. You know, I'll only have the virtue right. when it's easy. Well, yeah. and as you're talking about, you know, going back to your idea of swimming, um, right? it's making me think, too, that you still might have that there, but if if you allow yourself to get out of practice... Good point. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, absolutely I, right. I forget who it was. I, it might have been Sergei Rachmaninoff who talked about when he didn't practice music. He said, if I, if I skip one day... I can't really tell. If I skip an entire week, I can definitely tell. You know, the scales don't run as smooth as they should. You know, my the 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 cadence of what I'm playing isn't quite as good. And so he's talking about only one week of not practicing. So, you know, if if we if we have that virtue that's in practice, but then we start not practicing, use we, it or lose exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I get nervous with bye weeks in the NFL. I mean, they deserve it. They need it. But at the same time, you wonder, okay, that's, you know, they're not practicing the way they used to. They've, they've got some time off. And sometimes it does have a negative effect on your ability to play just because you're not as sharp as you used to be. You know, you're, you're correct. 
you got to use that virtue to keep it going. Well, so. we want to get into the four cardinal virtues, but okay. one one other question for for sure. you before we jump into those four. Um, and as you're talking about the virtues, you're talking about you know uh, the work, the effort, use it or lose it, developing right. these good habits, these good practices. We have the three theological virtues, which yes. those are given as gifts to us by God. Those right. are things. It, my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, but really there's not much we can do to necessarily acquire those through practice on our own. We have to receive those through God, through His grace. Um, first of all, is that correct? And then second of all, are there any other virtues that kind of fall into that category where it's kind of out of our hands, we're reliant exclusively on God? Uh, those are the three uh, virtues that cannot be acquired by one's own effort, of faith, hope, and charity. And you receive that uh, upon being baptized. They're totally gratuitous, all right? Just like being in the, receiving sanctifying grace in baptism is totally gratuitous, all right? So we establish that. But at the same time, uh, now that we have faith, I can grow in faith. Yes, it is given to us by God. The, the growth is given by God, too. God gives the growth, as St. Paul said, both in faith, hope, and love. But at the same time, my correspondence, my desire to grow in those virtues, makes a difference. It, it prompts the Holy Spirit to increase them. So if I want to believe more in the Eucharist, I... I'm not going to read another book on the Eucharist as much as, well, I should probably go to the, a chapel in front of the Blessed Sacrament more habitually and ask for faith. Um, I should probably try to receive the Eucharist with more fervor. And what happens is God rewards you with an increase of that theological virtue. So uh, the growth has human involvement. But the primary mover is God. You know, as Paul says, you know, one waters, one plants, one cultivates the soil, but only God gives the growth. But I got to cultivate the soil, I got to water the plant, I got to uh, put this plant in the sunlight, so God gives the growth. So there is you, there's human cooperation even in the growth of theological virtues, and that's what we call a saint. A saint is someone who has allowed God to give that person the fullness of charity. Talking with Father Peter Arminio today here on The Inner Life. He's a priest of Opus Dei, talking about the four cardinal virtues. And we're going to get into each one of those coming up here. Those virtues are prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Also want to invite you into the conversation. Maybe you have a question about living out one of the virtues, about living a virtuous life. Uh, maybe you're struggling in one of those virtues. There's uh, sin that regularly tempts you. It's something where you don't seem to be able to make any progress in that virtue. And you'd like some advice, some insight, encouragement from Father Peter. Our phone number to call into the studio is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. So, Father, let's just start with prudence itself. And yes. this is one that it it has this... Uh, kind of subtitle called The Mother of All Virtues. Can you yes. open that up for us? Why is prudence so important that it gets that title? Well, you, you want to look at prudence as uh, the conductor of an orchestra. Um, 
prudence is a very unique virtue, and if it weren't for the theological virtues, you could make the case that prudence is the most important of the moral virtues. The reason why they're called moral virtues is because a choice is involved, that these virtues come from the will event, ultimately where you're making a choice. But to have the, what makes prudence very unique is that to make the right choice, you need to, there's a number of factors involved. Uh, you need to know the natural law, and you need to assess the circumstances so that you can apply the natural law. Uh, the Ten Commandments are basically uh, another way of looking at the four cardinal virtues, and in a certain sense, another way of looking at prudence. So prudence calls the shots. Prudence tells you, okay, your next move or your next thought, this is the most virtuous way of doing it. And so it applies that natural law. And so now prudence is unique because it's not only an intellectual virtue where, okay, what's the right thing to do? Uh, There's deliberation involved. There's assessment of the circumstances. There's consultation. There's use of past experience. There's projection in the future. I mean, Thomas Aquinas has a whole treatise on this with a lot of micro-virtues involved. And then part of prudence is to form a good conscience, a true conscience, a sensitive conscience. And thirdly, the most important part of prudence is after all that background work of forming conscience, of deliberation, is to pull the trigger. Uh, I may realize that, you know, I'm overweight. I'm sorry for using the same example. Uh, and I shouldn't have that uh, that butter and that bread with my dinner in addition to mashed potatoes. I know that I shouldn't have it. You know, probably good that I offered that up as a mortification. And plus, you know, I got to keep my weight down. I know all those things, but I just can't do it. Because prudence also involves the presence of justice, fortitude, and temperance. I need a certain kind of self-control already in order to effectively call the shots. I may call the shots, but I'm shooting blanks until I have those virtues. So when I issue a command, give up that bread, smile at that person and say hello. I know I should do it. That's what charity is all about. But I want to stay in my comfort zone. I just can't get out of my comfort zone. Um, I know I have these duties today, but let me just sir, let me just uh, see what's uh, on the news. Let me check the scores. It's it's an inability. A lack of prudence would be an inability to execute what you already know is the right uh, for mode of action. Sure. Yeah. Right. It, it just just knowing it, but if you're not able to act on what you know, it's rather kind of pointless you know what good exactly. does that that knowledge do you and um, the ancient greeks yeah go ahead well we need to take a break here really quick father okay. but um l- let's sure. let's come back and and continue on with prudence and we can get into the other three of the cardinal virtues here as well sure. again talking okay. with father peter armenio here today our phone number to call into the studio is 888 888- 914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. What has helped you to be able to grow in one of these virtues that we're talking about today here? The cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. 
what have you done in your life to make living out the virtues that that habitual behavior? Is there one of these virtues that seems more difficult than the others to you? Maybe you have just a general question about them. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Peter, 888-914-9149. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and talking today with Father Peter Arminio. He's a priest of Opus Dei, head of Opus Dei for the Midwest, and today talking about the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, and inviting you to call in with your questions or to share your story of how you have been able to grow in one or more of those virtues. What has helped you to grow to be a more virtuous person. And our phone number into the studio, 888-914-9149, Father, you were just about to say that the way that the ancient Greeks looked at the virtues, um, it really, <laughs> it's, it's all about wanting to just be happy in life. Yes, it's amazing. Um, and they, without the help of divine revelation uh, or any previous philosophical books, especially Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, they start to conclude that to be genuinely happy, uh, you couldn't leave, lead a life of self-indulgence, uh, you couldn't be selfish, uh, you couldn't give in to cowardice, you needed to live those cardinal virtues, even though that word card, cardinal didn't exist in Greek, I mean... I think St. Ambrose was the one who came up with that word, meaning hinge, where every, it's like a, the, the hinge of a door. To open a door, it needs to rest on hinges. And, uh, but the Greeks developed uh, an ethics of those, those virtues because they were proving philosophically for a human person to be truly fulfilled, he or she would need to live those virtues. So that's kind of interesting. And prudence it was the... Sort of like the charioteer of of a chariot. That's the, the look at it. And you have these two horses. One horse would represent the irascible appetite, you know, the the drive to accomplish things, the passion of anger, the passion of fear. That's irascible. And then concupiscence would be the desire for pleasure and comfort. So those two horses would be directed by a charioteer, which represented prudence. Uh, Father, the the virtue of prudence, the other word I've heard used somewhat interchangeably, is wisdom. 
Um, yes. Is is that a true synonym there, or does that lack? It's uh, it dovetails, but it's not a true synonym because wisdom is the knowledge of the ultimate causes. In other words, a st- that we everything has a nature. That would be wisdom. Uh, that to, in general, to be a good person, you need to be virtuous. Uh, that there's intelligence in creation. There's an intelligent force behind it, which must be uh, the fullness of intelligence or an uncaused cause. That's wisdom. That's metaphysics. Um, wisdom means, you know, you need to bring God in your life. These are general principles of wisdom. But prudence is applying that wisdom, uh, moral wisdom, ethics, uh, to concrete action. Okay. To integrate wisdom, i.e. the Ten Commandments, the moral law, with particular current circumstances. That's what prudence does. It's a practical wisdom, if you will. So, I mean, the big question is then how, how does one go about practicing regularly so that they can make it a good habit, that they don't have to, you know, that, that it's, it's something that happens without them thinking and being so deliberate? How do you grow in prudence? Well, you grow in prudence um, by... By experience, by experience of what these good actions do, the experience of the fulfillment of virtue will give. Now, this is not Christian. This is human. Right. Uh, but that's how you, you, you grow in prudence, because prudence is sort of like learning chemistry or learning history. You learn it, but there's a lot more you can learn, because every series of circumstances are different. I mean, I could give you an example. Um, I don't want to get into all sorts of polemics, but in times gone by, you wouldn't think twice about refusing to show up for a wedding outside the Catholic Church if one of the parties was Catholic. Why will be? Well, to this day, that the principle has not changed. The Church does not recognize a wedding of a Catholic uh, outside the Church, unless. He, they, the couple receives the sacrament, they of matrimony. They don't recognize. It's not recognized. All right, and so you wouldn't go, not in order to avoid giving bad example. Uh, now, it's different. Not that that theology has changed, uh, but given the fact that the culture is so post-Christian that there is a a strong element of invincible ignorance. And there's another moral principle you got to invoke, especially for Christians. I want to reel this person back into the church, and I don't want to drive the person out of the church. You don't sell your soul, but at the same time, you prudentially make some decisions and conduct actions that are what's best given those circumstances. Now, this has nothing to do with moral relativism. It means integrating in the natural law into that current situation. So I think that would be a little bit of an example of that. Uh, Father, let's go to the phones. We've got uh, yeah. Tom who is calling in, listening in Grand Terrace, sure. California. Tom, glad to have you here on The Inner Life. Welcome. Thank you. My question uh, is, for me, when I think about prudence and the virtuous habits I really think it's important to begin with the end, in, the end goal in mind. Right. What is my actions oriented toward? Right. And if I really focus in on that, 
in a repetitive way, <coughs> it really helps me to stay focused on developing that virtuous habit, uh, especially, you know, when it comes like, you know, gluttony or something like that, where I really need to work on it, maybe the, the uh, better health or, or weight loss. So I think right. the end, choosing the end first is really a great place to start. I agree 100%. Uh, in fact, the the goal will determine the kind of prudence you have. If the goal is, I want to be totally identified with Christ, my decisions and my actions will be a little bit different than just being naturally ethical or naturally uh, virtuous. Uh, so you're right, the end goal. Or, listen, I really need to scale down what I eat because of my health uh, blood pressure or diabetes or whatever it is, just by way of example. Uh, so yes, you're right. What am I trying to accomplish? I want to run the marathon. Well, that means I got to do, I have to run this amount every day, uh, weekends, uh, a longer distance. I, I just can't say I want to run the marathon and I don't choose and act on the means that are appropriate to reach that goal. Uh, you well know, said. one of the other things that that brings to mind is a story that Father Rocky, our executive director here at Relevant Radio, a, f- a fellow Opus Dei priest with you, Father, um, yes. he talked about, I don't know when I heard him share this story, but it said a family that he knew, the mom, whenever the kids would come and ask her, you know, hey, mom, can we can we do this? Can we go here? Can we do that thing? You know, whatever they were asking permission to go do. Right. And Father Rocky said this mom would regularly answer, well, you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you ask yourself one question. Will this help me get to heaven? And, <laughs> and I, you know, that kind of goes back to what Tom was saying there, that end goal in mind. If we approach, and, and I'm, <laughs> I, I need to work on this myself, of course, but if we can approach every action that we take in life and just have that question, all right, will this help me get to heaven? You know, some things might not help us get to heaven, and we need to avoid those. Some things might be neutral, and that's okay. You, you have a little bit of latitude, right. and some things exactly. obviously can help us get there. But I, I, I like that suggestion of Tom's. Keep that end right. goal in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. That was great. Yeah. Uh, Father, let's move on to the second of these. Uh, the second one in my list, at least, is justice. Yes. And I think justice sounds pretty straightforward. You know, the idea that we want things to be fair or equal for everyone involved. The biggest problem for us as humans, of course, is our pride or our greed that can get in the way. And I, I end up then say, in my mind, justice becomes more about, well, justice for everybody else, but a little bit more for me. <laughs> well, justice is, that's a, a huge virtue, if I'm not mistaken, I think Aquinas devotes 60 questions to justice, which probably from the Summa is a good 300 pages. I'm an educated guess right now. Um, but just, justice covers a wide spectrum. In fact, in a typical moral theology course, you'll just have a course on justice, and you'll have another course on the other three cardinal virtues. Um, but justice encompasses justice with yourself, just, like for example, gratitude is connected with justice. Just for the record, 
uh, there's 50, Aquinas comes up with, I think, 51 virtues connected with the cardinal virtues. And wow. there's a lot of, it's a lot of moral virtues. But, you know, gratitude, for example, is part of justice, is connected with justice, that gratitude to God, gratitude to others. Um, strict justice is, but Christianity goes way beyond strict justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is justice. It's not, that saying is not immoral, per se, I mean, under the guise of strict justice. Uh, justice with God would also warrant uh, an individual, whether he's Christian or not, to give some time to God and to recognize God's greatness and to honor God and to praise God. So those are, are with oneself. The fifth commandment is about justice. I need to take care of my health. I need to take care of my body. I need to take care of my spiritual life. That's part of justice. I have to give everyone his due. And sometimes a his, or it happens to be God himself. Um, I need to, in justice, I need to, uh, when you're talking to me, to hear you out and not to interrupt you. I mean, there's a little thing. Uh, to pay my bills on time, to pay my worker on time. He's, he's living hand to mouth, especially a manual laborer who's an immigrant. Uh, so it, it covers a wide spectrum. And, and, and to, to live charity, first I need to live justice. A, ch a charity is a perfection, a supernatural perfection of justice. The rights of the unborn is a justice issue. The rights of the longborn, the rights of the sick, um, the right to housing, the right to food. These are all, you have a whole huge amount of teaching that is over 100 years old. That's called the social teaching of the church of, you know, taking care of the common good. So it, there's a wide swath of virtues that are connected uh, with justice. I mean, with children, you know, and there's sins against uh, justice. I don't know, gambling and uh, harshness and uh, calumny. I mean, it, it covers a wide range. So anyway, right. That's well, a snippet. Well, you know, one of the things that, as you were talking about, being just with others, you know, that we we can live out charity when we are just. Uh, you know, that that there's yes. the the combination there, the the complementarity of those two. I'm thinking of the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament. Jesus, yes. he's walking through the town. Zacchaeus climbs the tree, wants to see Jesus. Yes. Jesus comes right to him, says, come down, I'm going to your house, I'm going to have dinner with you. And there's this huge, profound, transforming encounter that happens here to where Zacchaeus, who had presumably been rather unjust in the way that he yes. had behaved as a tax collector, now wants to make recompense for that. Yes. And... I guess when I'm thinking of that, you know, we're talking about how we can grow, kind of exercise those muscles, how we can build those habits, do this again and again and again so that we are able to grow in those virtues. But it also seems that God will, in his goodness, in his graciousness, he will help us and give us the, I guess, the strength that we need in those moments where he opens a door, that we can practice those virtues and kind of take a huge leap in that growth 
provided we're open to, you know, coming down out of the tree and saying, sure, come to my house, Jesus. Yes, exactly. And we see, uh, we see a perfection of justice because now Zacchaeus, it's implied, now he's a disciple of Jesus, not only because he uh, made reparation for his injustices, but he's made reparation fourfold. So he's, he's gone way beyond justice. Uh, he's invited Jesus at his house. He climbed up a tree, made a fool out of himself, and then he, he repaired the injustice fourfold. I'd say Matthew's a kind of a similar uh, case because he was a, t- a tax collector as well. Um, he throws a conversion party. Uh, it's implied that he left everything to follow right. the Lord, so he did it too. And then tradition has it that his the only body of writing in the uh, New Testament, uh, there's only one that is written originally in Aramaic, and that's the Gospel of St. Matthew, and tradition has it that he wanted to redeem himself with the Jewish people. And it makes sense because he always backs up a teaching of Jesus with an Old Testament quotation in order to make reparation for being a traitor, mm. working for the Romans and extorting money from his own people. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I had never heard that before. I knew you know, his primary audience was the Jewish people, and there's so much that looks to the Old Testament, but that he's making reparation. He um, is. Yeah, that, that's, that, I, I love that insight. Again, talking with Father Peter Arminio today here on The Inner Life about the cardinal virtues. We've talked about prudence, we've talked about justice, going to look at temperance and fortitude coming up next, and take your phone calls as well. And again, if you'd like to call in and be a part of the program, maybe you have a question about one of the virtues, or you'd like to share how you've been able to grow in one of these virtues, something that has helped you. Uh, Maybe you struggled in the past, and now it's become that more routine habit in your life. Our phone number here, 888-914-9149, Back in just a moment, you're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio's line, is hiring today. Several positions available throughout the U.S. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF, an Illinois life insurance society not licensed in all states. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Because no matter how far away you roam, If you want to be happy in a million ways For the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home All right, so that sounds like Perry Como. Am I right on that, Nick? All right, Perry Como, yes. (laughs) He's got... Yeah, that's right. He did. um, Yeah, in fact, I remember reading about how he, Perry Como, he would always sing... Uh, a rendition of the Ave Maria every year for a Christmas special that he would do. He would never actually record that for an album because he considered it as he didn't want to commercialize and he didn't want to capitalize 
on singing the Ave Maria. So, uh, everything I've ever read about Perry Como, apparently just a really, really nice guy and uh, upstanding kind of kind of fellow. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Uh, this is our hour that we dedicate to different topics on spiritual direction, on growing in our spiritual lives. And today I'm talking with Father Peter Armenio. He's a priest of Opus Dei, head of Opus Dei for the Midwest, and today talking about the cardinal virtues, those four vir- virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And we have two more to get to, and want to get to those in this last segment. Also want to uh, go to another phone call here. Father, we've got Dan, who's listening to us in South Dakota. Dan, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Peter. Good morning. Uh, Good morning early Dan. in November, uh, there was a uh, St. Leo the Great that was right. a saint of the day, right. and he spoke a lot about virtue, and in, in virtue, I, I, I have a strong faith, but I kept asking God, why do you tempt me? And I'm reading from St. Leo the Great, and St. Leo the Great said, virtue cannot be acquired without temptation. It's like an army without an enemy. And I thought, man, that really spoke to me, and I really liked that. <laughs> Yes, because the passions, as a as a result of original sin, tend to be out of control, and so you're always fighting against temptation for the passions to get the upper end, and that's what those cardinal virtues do. Passions are something God gives us, so I'd say they're good in themselves, but they could be they could work against us if we don't control them, and that's what the virtue does. It uses the passion to do good. Dan, thanks so, so much for calling in and sharing that. I uh, also want to say thank you to Nicole for calling in. Uh, Nicole is somebody who's calling in from Maryland, and she just wanted to say, Father Peter, I've known you for years and years, went to Days of Recollection with you. Merry Christmas. So, Nicole, thanks for calling in. Nicole, God bless you, and Merry Christmas to you. You're very uh, kind. So, Father, we've got two more of the virtues to get to, and, of course, you know, okay. there's never time enough in just a single never. hour. But never. let's talk about temperance. And, boy, is there a better time to talk about temperance than here in the holiday season? I, you've already kind of referenced, you know, the pumpkin pie, the pecan pie, you know, different things <laughs> that we have around this time of, uh, you know, year. But, uh, you know, that idea of gluttony, we live in a culture that really has kind of embraced that. And how do we, how do you think in our contemporary culture, we can really embrace an attitude of temperance, but at the same time, not close ourselves off to you know, friends and family that might not be at the same place as us as we're trying to work right. really seriously in these virtues. Right. Well, temperance basically, um, it controls our appetite, our desire for sensual pleasure, sensual pleasure. And that traditionally encompasses three inclinations or even three disorders. Uh, one of the capital sins is gluttony. That It's not a sin in itself. It's our tendency. And the other one is lust. And so the tendency to uh, overdo it with alcoholic beverage would be sobriety. It's a part of temperance. Uh, 
the virtue to control the intake of food is called abstinence. Doesn't mean no food, it means control. And uh, and the control of lust would be chastity or purity. So those are the three main virtues, and there's other virtues connected with temperance, but you know, there's lots of them. But those are the, the main ones. And um, we are in a very hedonistic society. I mean, I think our, our greatest violations of temperance is not substance abuse, that's there, uh, or gluttony, it's there, no question about it. But it is hedonism. Uh, the pandemic of pornography, uh, fashions that don't square with right reason. When you read the phrase right reason in traditional ethics, right reason means natural law because uh, we all have that ingrained in our hearts and consciences by virtue of being human. It could be whittled away, it could be obscured, but it's there. So temperance, it, we, we're not Puritans, we're not Stoics. Stoics live temperance as an end in itself. We, are, we live these virtues to be free to love God and to love others. Because what hinders us is that we can't give ourselves, if we're uh, slaves to sens- sensual pleasure, well, then we're, our, our goal, our tendency will be to concentrate on that. If we have that under control, I have the ability to have a spiritual life, to pray. I mean, Paul in Romans 8 says that there's, there's a big incompatibility between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit because it kind of drowns out the life of the spirit. And many, you know, a lot of serious Christians who um, do penance during Lent feel, even though it's not a question of feeling, a greater presence of God, a greater inclination to pray when they are doing, when they're fasting. Sure. And and temperance has to be tailored. I'm not going to live temperance in Lent the way I'm going to live temperance during Christmas week. I would almost say it's kind of, uh, it could almost be offensive that, you know, that we don't whoop it up a little bit because the uh, the festivity warrants uh, a right. different it, yeah, it's way a of different li- atmosphere than Holy Week itself, where exactly. we're reflecting go. and meditating upon those events right. that lead up to the Passion and the the death of Christ. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Let, let's look at the last one here in our last couple of minutes, Father Fortitude. Sure. Um, yes. I think of courage. You know, kind of being that that word that that goes along with that. What's what is the difference between having an understanding of of the kind of courage uh, that the church is speaking about in this virtue of fortitude versus the courage we might see promoted in in the world or you know in 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 the news in movies right well fortitude yes it, it, one of the goals of fortitude i mean in the, the latin i'm going to translate is to pursue the difficult good that's the you know the soundbite of fortitude, and fortitude again uh, uh, encompasses a number of areas of the the irascible passion, and one is yes, uh, to control the passion of fear. Everyone has it, and probably in different degrees of concentration. Uh, but courage to stand up for your faith. Courage when you're in a classroom and you're with twenty five people who. Uh, have a very solid woke tendency, starting with the professor, and the professor may know knows more than you do, and you weigh in without overdoing it, 
you weigh in and tell the truth, you know, uh, whether it's the rights of the unborn or marriage between a man and a woman, uh, all those kind of issues, um, or in a conversation where someone is kind of boasting about an immoral lifestyle, to say something takes a lot of courage. Uh, for us priests to hit, we don't have to do it all the time or belabor it, but to hit those right moral issues, right. especially with regard to chastity in life, require that virtue. But also perseverance and patience and are sometimes all part tact. of that virtue. <laughs> um, and tact. Yeah. And and some people are very are, don't have much fear, but they're reckless. Uh, sure. Fortitude sure. also uh, controls that as well. Uh, anyway. Father, we are flat out of time. I, I wish we I had could, a, an entire tell. another hour to talk it's about right. this. But uh, so glad to have you here with us today. Great Before to be with you. Before we do Thank wrap you. up here in these last 30 seconds, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Absolutely. Oh, God Almighty, Father, you sent your only begotten Son to show us what real freedom is expressed in the cardinal virtues. Give us the grace to desire it and live them. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Father. Uh, also had a question from a caller who couldn't hold any books that might be recommended to look at the cardinal virtues. One is by a man named Joseph Pieper, and you can find that. It's just simply The Four Cardinal Virtues. Another one called Back to Virtue by Dr. Peter Kraft. Both of those great reads. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now here on Relevant Radio.